0: All right, we are in Ezekiel, we're in chapter 14, we're going to look at the first 11 verses of that chapter, verses 1 through 11, in a study I'm calling Cheaters. (laughs) I love it. Uh, Someone sent me the following quote attributed to A.W. Tozer. It's a little lengthy, but it's uh, important, and so let me read it to you. I think we are going to have to restudy this whole teaching of the place of the Holy Spirit in the church, so the body can operate again. If the life goes out of a man's body, he is said to be a corpse. He is what they call the remains. It is sad, but humorously sad, that a strong, fine man with shining eyes and vibrant voice, a living man, dies, and we say, the remains can be seen at a funeral home. All the remains of the man and the least part about him is what you can see there in the funeral home. The living man is gone. You have only the body. The body is the remains. So it is in the church of Christ. It is literally true that some churches are dead. The Holy Spirit has gone out of them and all you have left are the remains. You have the potential of the church, but you do not have the church. Just as you have in a dead man the potential of a living man, but you do not have a living man. He can't talk, he can't taste, he can't touch, he can't feel, he can't smell, he can't see, he can't hear, because he's dead. The soul has gone out of the man. And when the Holy Spirit is not present in the church, you have to get along after other methods of business or politics or psychology or some other human effort. Interesting. If a church is to remain alive instead of just remaining then its leaders must be seeking the Holy Spirit. We see this example in Acts, in chapter 13. As certain key men in the church at Antioch met for prayer, the Holy Spirit spoke to them through one of them. Paul and Barnabas were thus set aside for the amazing mission uh, that you read about in the subsequent chapters. It happened because those men met for prayer. The kind of prayer that expected God to speak and to work. They didn't get together and look at a map and figure out what cities they ought to try to go to and conquer for Jesus. They, they had no real methodology at all. Uh, one of the things I love the most about reading the book of Acts is that no one knew what to do. They had no method other than to share The gospel other than to be witnesses of what Jesus was doing and to follow after the Lord. When the widows were uh, some of the widows weren't getting their proper daily uh, allotment. Peter said, what do you want from me? I don't know what to do. How about you guys take care of this? Pick out some spiritual guys. And, you know, we're going to keep reading the Bible and praying and doing the stuff that we know how to do. Seems to be working and so you guys take care of this. And it was, it's interesting. I mean, I, they, they really honestly didn't know what to do except to depend upon the Lord. Those men in the book of Acts and throughout the history of the church up until today, they, con, they, they met for prayer and it was the kind of prayer that expected God to speak and to work. Now in our text, some of the elders of Israel came to Ezekiel to inquire of the Lord. It sounds good, until you read that their hearts were not right with God. So this is my prayer, that our leaders here at Calvary Hanford would have right hearts and continually come together to meet for the kind of praying that expects God to speak and to work. And and I'd ask you to pray for us in that regard. Let's look at chapter 14 now in verse 1. Now some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me. Elders were the spiritual leaders of the Israelites. These were the elders over the Jews in Babylon over the exiles. Remember, Ezekiel is in Babylon in exile by the river Kebar. Uh, there are also Jews back in Jerusalem in Judah, but we're here in Babylon. Elder is from an old Anglo-Saxon word, eldra, meaning older, with a practical meaning of more experienced. It's used to translate a number of original words of Scripture, such as the Hebrew word godal, meaning greater in any sense, age, stature, dignity, etc. And there's a Greek word pronounced presbyteros, meaning older or senior. While elder was commonly used for an older sibling or a parent, during Bible history it was also a political or religious office held by responsible individuals. Ezekiel didn't really travel. He prophesied and performed visual prophecy at and around his house. Coming to see him indicated the elders wanted to inquire of the Lord. They wanted a message from the Lord. Was that a good sign? Well, not really, and here's why. They already had heard from the Lord through Ezekiel, and up to now they had done nothing about it. Well, they had done something in that they rejected it. They rejected the word of the Lord given by Ezekiel in favor of the message of the false prophets and the sorceresses that we read about in chapter 13. And so the picture we have here is that these elders, these leaders, they come to inquire of the Lord, but the Lord has already spoken to them and they have done nothing about it. If, if they have done something, they've rejected it and... Let the people be led astray. Now, it appears that they knew what was coming and what they ought to do about it. But they were wondering if perhaps God would give some new message, perhaps something more to their liking. It's not uncommon in counseling a Christian that they already know God's word. Most of the time when people come in, for example, for marriage counseling, they, they don't come in and say, you know, we're brand new Christians and we don't know where to look in the Bible to read about marriage. We, we don't even know what a concordance is. So can you help us find the pertinent scriptures on marriage and, so that we can read them and, and stand in awe of God's plan for a husband and a wife? Uh, usually they know the word quite well and they already know what to do but instead of obeying God, they're really looking for wiggle room to continue in at least partial disobedience. It's like, you know, this is really, you know we've been Christians for a while. This isn't really working for us. So what else do you got? Well, what else can you give us here? Because I, this part, I don't, even, I don't know. I'm not into this. And so what else is there? Well, God has spoken in his word. His word is his enabling, meaning that whatever it says, you are able to do. I think there should be a JDIV version of the Bible, the just do it version. Wouldn't that be great? Maybe that could be our ticket out of here, right? The just do it version. Ezekiel fourteen two, and the word of the Lord came to me saying, now God spoke even though their hearts are going to be revealed as being far from him. As we go on in the next few verses, you see these guys are out way, way out. They're not in left field. They're on the other side of the fence. They're not even playing left field. But God is still going to uh, speak to them through Ezekiel. How gracious and patient is our Father in heaven. At the same time He is loving, He always speaks truth. And so here it comes, verse 3. Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts. They've put before them that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. Should I let myself be inquired of at all by them? The elders had set up idols in their hearts. They were probably not openly worshipping idols as uh, the rest of the Israelites were. But they were doing it secretly. Always before them, therefore, was that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. Instead of thinking about the Lord and how they might minister to the Lord and then from the Lord to His people, they were thinking about whatever it was that captivated their heart, whatever particular idol uh, that they coveted or whatever it was that they were into. And they were stumbling and they were sinning as a result. In other words, they were every bit as much in sin as those who were openly worshipping idols. It just wasn't... In one sense, it wasn't as obvious. But in fact... It was kind of obvious because they were more at fault because they did nothing to stop the worship of idols. As leaders, they ought to have heeded Ezekiel's earlier messages and urged the people that they were overseeing to repent. Apparently, these guys felt like it was enough to look like they were okay on the outside. Saying, hey, you know, you guys are all worshiping idols. Well, we're not doing that. And uh, I guess the power of our example... Ought to be enough, but all it was was a self righteousness. They looked more spiritual than the others, but in their hearts they were they were you know worshiping idols, and in a sense that was worse because it, it, I think it's worse to be a hypocrite than it is just to be an open sinner. Uh, just my opinion, uh, and so so they were actually worse off. Of course, under a greater judgment because they're leaders but you know it wasn't enough that they just had an example of what they considered outward righteousness as a rebuke to the they should have gotten rid of the idols in their own heart and dealt with the people and said hey you know this isn't going to happen phinehas in the old testament when uh the Moabite women were coming into the Israelite camp and the Israelite men were having uh, sex with them and worshipping their gods. Phinehas said, what? And he grabbed a javelin and he went into the... He saw a man, an Israelite man and a Moabite woman go into their tent to, to have sexual relations. He grabbed a javelin and he went in there and he struck and he killed them both. And God stayed the plague that had come upon the Israelites. And so that's leadership. <laughs> Get the point? But uh, anyway, so, so these leaders, they should have done something. It's not enough to say, well, I'm not doing it. And uh, gee, you can see I'm not doing it. And I think I'll say this probably again in a minute. But the reason that that's all they did was because really they were doing it. Only they were hiding it and no one knew about it. It's hard to urge open repentance uh, or rather repentance of open sin if you are practicing secret sin. Or if you do, there's no power in the urging because God can't really empower that. Now God said, I like this, He's talk- these guys come to inquire of Ezekiel and he starts talking to Ezekiel and he says, hey, Zeke, should I let myself be inquired of at all by them? It's, it's an interesting moment of intimacy between Ezekiel and the Lord. Uh, and, and I love this and, and I don't want to I can't say too much about it because you know I'd be reading into it, but partly, I think this could be an attitude check for Ezekiel, because on one level, the answer is no. I mean, if you come and ask me this question, if I'm Ezekiel, I'm going to say no, don't let them seek you since they have over and over again rejected your messages through me with uh, Lord, I've been faithful and with great hardship and sacrifice. I have delivered those messages. Again, I can't speak for him, but I know I'd be at the point where I thought these guys should be cut off. I'd be a Jonah by now. If God told me to speak, I'd just, hmm, I'm going to go mute on you. <laughs> no, you're going to have to force me to speak. Go ahead, bring a whale up here on land if you want to. You know, I'm not going near the river. But you know, it's actually, so, so the Lord's saying, what do you think, Ezekiel? After you've you know laid on your side and, and laid on the other side for almost a year and cooked your food with human refuse, but well, that's right, you didn't want to do that, so I let you use animal refuse. And, and you've dug a wall, a hole in the wall of your house, and, and you've you know you've just ruined everything. You've been a mute, you've been in a, a functional mute because I won't let you talk unless I tell you to talk. After all that, do you think I should talk to these people? who have rejected everything that I've said? No. But God is going to talk to them and I, I think it's really a profound thing. God will speak again to them and it speaks to us that He will. While there is life, there is hope. Hope of repentance and obedience. And what a joy that is to each of us, isn't it? All of us. We talked there, no, there is no second work of grace in the sense of of attaining complete sanctification where we don't struggle and wrestle with the flesh, where the world doesn't assault us moment by moment, where the devil isn't laying in wait for us. And when we fall into sin, what a joy to know that the Lord speaks to us and draws us to repentance. It's like when Jesus was explaining forgiveness and He told His followers to forgive the same person for the same offense Seventy times seven in one day, if necessary. He was communicating to us the merciful patience of God, or maybe the patient mercy of God. I don't know which, which way to put it, but either way, it works. Either way, we must look past the person and their hardness of heart and continue to minister the Word of God to them. After I was saved... I could remember several encounters with Christians sharing the gospel that were met by hardness of heart on my part, by blindness, spiritual blindness. But one day that word, the gospel, quickened me and I was born a second time. I was born spiritually. I was born again. I remember in particular being on the campus of University of California at Riverside and these two Christians coming up to me and trying to share with me the four spiritual laws. Uh, and I remember that vividly, but I don't remember any, I can't remember anything they actually said. And I'm pretty sure I threw the tract away as soon as I walked away. And there were lots of encounters like that where, you know, just an absolute hardness of heart. They might have been as well have been talking to this table. Have you heard of the four spiritual laws? Because if you don't repent, termites are going to come, or something you know that kind of a thing. It meant nothing to me. Uh, and, and but one day one day, I was watching a movie about Bible prophecy, and it was like, "Oh wow! If there was the internet age, I would have said, "OMG." <laughs> I 'm not LOLing anymore, you know uh, I'm headed for Hellville." <clears throat> Those of you who do Facebook know what I'm talking about. Farmville? Yeah. I was headed for Hellville if I didn't get saved. And so, you know, God, we, we need to realize that and remember that. How can I be less merciful with others just like me than God was with me? It's, a, it's an important thought. Verse 4, Therefore speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, every one of the house of Israel who sets up his idols in his heart, and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity, and then comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him who comes according to the multitude of his idols. Uh, Interesting, the Lord seems to be saying that the sheer multitude of idols would cascade to a point at which they would have to admit sin and repent. They were totally captivated with idolatry and could no longer deny it even to themselves. Some of you... I have and you have you've been here even as Christians where you keep denying that you're in sin it's I like, know I'm not doing it when you mean no it means I'm not doing it right now but you haven't really repented until it begins to cascade and your sin is found out and then you're busted and and you even you have to admit Wow, the, the hardness of of the heart is incredible I remember a case years and years and years ago. I'm only saying this because you guys wouldn't know who it was. uh, An individual who was involved in a drunk driving accident where he was over the legal limit uh, driving and and, uh, the other individual in the other vehicle was killed. And he never would admit that it was his fault or that he was under the influence of alcohol because even though he blew over the limit he was totally in control of himself and his wife would sit there and tell me he has a drinking problem he's a drunk no no I'm not. you killed somebody it wasn't my fault it was a pothole in the road and i swerved it, it would have happened if i had, hadn't been drinking so what's the big difference you know it was it's terrible the, you know sometimes we have to have this real cascade effect you know you think wow that's rock bottom but it wasn't And so God is saying, yeah, hey, there's so much sin going on in their lives, they they really can't deny it at this point. So verse 5, that I may seize the house of Israel by their heart, because they are all estranged from me by their idols. Sin was abounding in their hearts. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. We should never sin in abundance so we can experience grace abounding. But there comes a point in which we are crushed under the weight of our sin we can only be removed from under it by superabounding grace verse 6 therefore say to the house of israel thus says the lord god repent turn away from your idols turn your faces away from all your abominations there was no plan b i think these guys came looking for plan b so yeah you know we've heard everything you've said ezekiel we've came to your little plays we've seen your little dramas We know that God is calling us to repent and turn away from idolatry. What else can we do? How about a plan B to get us out of trouble? There was no way to deliver them from the Babylonian captivity and still allow them to worship idols. There was no middle ground. God's command was amazingly simple. All they needed to do was agree with Him that they were idolaters and then turn to God From their idolatry. It wasn't hard at all. God said here's what you need to do. Repent and turn away from your idolatry to me. It seems simple enough. Verse 7. For anyone of the house of Israel. Or of the strangers who dwell in Israel. Who separates himself from me. And sets up his idols in his heart. And puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity. Then comes to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me. I the Lord will answer him by myself. God kept rehearsing their problem. His diagnosis was 100% on the money. Sometimes I, um, I feel like I keep telling people the same thing over and over and over again. And even I get tired of saying it and hearing it. And I think, well, what else can I say? And I say, Well, there isn't anything else. This is, this is all there is. It's plan A. Why does God say He will answer him myself? Well, they have the word in the form of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible... God's teaching on idolatry was clear. There was no need really to inquire of any prophet about idolatry. You could read about idolatry, how much God hated it, what he was going to do about it, how he was going to put people out of the fellowship for it. There was no need to come and say, now Ezekiel, what else can God do about idolatry? Because we want to keep doing some of it. We're kind of comfortable with it. How bad could it be, really? And so we know what the Word says, but what, is, what does God say now? Maybe there's a more progressive revelation. Maybe there's some new understanding. The elders had thrown in with the false prophets and sorceresses. It seemed, however, that their message was failing because Babylon continued to threaten. So now they attempt to get Ezekiel to soften the message he has already delivered. If we, for whatever reason, don't like something God has said, oftentimes we'll try to find a person or a group that will agree with us. Thus, there are liberal churches all over that allow and openly practice all manner of things that are prohibited or condemned outright in the Word. Those who gather there feel comfortable because the leaders tell them it's okay. Lots of people call me and they say, my son or my daughter is doing this. And now they're at a church over here that says it's okay. They condone it. And and so they're all excited about it. And, and, And you can always, really, you can find people who will give you counsel according to what you want to hear. Verse 8, I will set my face against that man and make him a sign and a proverb. I will cut him off from the midst of my people. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. The remedy for behavior God calls sin is not to seek and receive alternate counsel. It's to agree with God's counsel and repent. To that end, God acts in discipline to bring the sinner to a place where he will seek repentance. And so the whole purpose of the Babylonian invasions and captivity was a discipline so that his people would come to repentance. And they did. Verse 9, and if the prophet is induced to speak anything, I, the Lord, have induced that prophet, I will stretch out my hand against him and destroy him from among my people Israel. Now the prophet in this verse is the false prophet. This verse sounds at first a little troubling. The Lord says that he induced the false prophet to speak and then he destroys him. Well, it's not really that complicated. There is a spiritual principle that God will give you over to what is your desire. You see this articulated in the first chapter of the book of Romans. Let me read this for you. I think it might be up on the screen too, but I'll read it through. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them. God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, "...and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature." Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men, committing what is, un, uh, what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. One of the things I get from this is that if a person rejects the natural and the supernatural revelation of God, then God gives them up and gives them over to what their sinful hearts desire. You see this same principle later in Romans when Pharaoh is mentioned. You're told both that God hardened Pharaoh's heart and that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Which was it? Well, it's both. But we would say that Pharaoh acted sinfully and so God gave him up and gave him over to his sin. There are always those who want to argue that men like the false prophets and Pharaoh had no freedom of choice, that it was God in His sovereignty and for His glory who caused them to act apart from any possibility of free will to the contrary. I'd believe that if the Bible taught that. But I see in Romans 1 and elsewhere that there is in fact a free choice and God says, I've revealed Myself and if you reject that revelation, then I I give you over to what it is you desire. And that's what's happening in the prophet situation here in the 6th century. uh, These guys were going after these other things. And God says, I'm going to give you up to that and therefore induce you to be uh, these false prophets. And so in verse 10, and they shall bear their iniquity. The punishment of the prophet shall be the same as the punishment of the one who inquired of the prophet. Everyone is held personally responsible for their sin. Even though God induced the false prophets, it did not minimize those who followed them. Let's think of all that has just been said in light of God's goal that's stated here in verse 11. He says, "...that the house of Israel may no longer stray from Me, nor be profaned anymore with all their transgressions, but that they may be My people, and I may be their God," says the Lord God. If God tests, when God judges, it is for your good. Sin profanes and interrupts the fellowship God wants you to to enjoy with him there's a show on TV called cheaters that's why some of you were laughing my disclaimer I've never watched a single episode I've only seen the ridiculous commercials private detectives follow spouses who are believed to be cheating and they document everything on film the producers describe it as quote documenting the pain of a spouse or a lover caused by infidelity then they say, this program is both dedicated to the faithful and presented to the false hearted to encourage the renewal of temperance and virtue. That's not true. This program is dedicated to ratings and is looking to the most salacious cheating they can find. Now, when we step out on God, it is seen by Him. He busts us, but in His case, it really is to encourage the renewal of of the relationship. And so when we are found as cheaters, as these leaders and followers are in, in the 6th century, God is busting them. He says, man, I, I, I grabbed onto your heart. I've, I've got your heart now. It is full of idolatry, full of wickedness, full of abomination. I've got you but I've got you so that we can have a renewal of relationships, so that I can restore the relationships. Like I said earlier in my prayer, God is not jealous of you. He's not all bummed out that you're after some idol that's better looking than him. God is jealous for you because he knows where that idolatry and that abomination will lead you. And some of you have been led to those places before you were a Christian and sometimes afterwards where you... You wake up one day and you say, well, How did I get here? My life is a disaster. I, I'm overwhelmed by sin. I've ruined my life. I've ruined my family. I, there's nothing left. I, I've, there, you know, whatever, What happened? Well, that's, God says, well, I'm jealous for you. I don't want you to ever have to go through that. There's no reason for that if you'll just walk with me. Even at this late stage in Israel's sin, after a second siege by Babylon... God still called upon them to repent. It was still not too late. The, the leaders came and God says, should I even talk to these guys? And while Ezekiel is working that out in his own mind, God says, yeah, I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to tell them the same thing I've been telling them all the way back to Deuteronomy. That really when God says repent, get away from your abominations, it's what he'd already told them in his word. It's what he'd been telling them through the prophets for generations. It's what he had told them through Jeremiah. And Ezekiel, it's it's kind of the same word. It's Plan A, but it's amazing to me that he was still willing to talk with them. Don't you get frustrated when you tell people something and then they ask you again and again and again and again and you have to tell them the same thing over and over and over again? It it it, and it's not that they're stupid. It's that they're trying to get a different answer from you. Kids are great at this. When you're raising your kids, you know, you give them a clear directive hmm, well, did you mean on Tuesdays? Yes, Tuesdays. In the morning or in the evening, is There a certain time of day when I could disobey this and get away with it. And, and it just it drives you crazy, you know, trying to get into that. And, and God's people, we, are, we can be like that. But God will listen to us, and then He'll keep telling us over and over again these same things. It's never too late for us. Our God is a wonderfully jealous God, Jealous for us that we would have the greatest potential for life and godliness and the joy of serving Him. Amen? Amen.